Section 14 of The Wars of the Roses by Robert Balmain Moat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 9 The Yorkists in Exile. For just over eight months, the Yorkist lords ate the bread of exile, and although at times they longed to see once more the smoke rising from their own hearths, yet their condition was by no means unfortunate for although in exile yet in a sense they were at home they saw many english faces around them they lived under the english flag it was only a narrow sea that separated them from their own land on a clear day they might almost see the coast of england they had many friends there from whom came constant words of encouragement a flying visit to england itself was not impossible for the exiles from such a visit which they made in force and fully armed, they did not return empty-handed. Nor were they in any poverty, for though exiles, they successfully governed the countries in which they settled and the rewards of government were theirs. Strategically, their position was excellent. They commanded the vulnerable points of England from two sides. The Duke of York held the English pale around Dublin the earl of warwick held calais and a great part of the english pale there with his naval power he practically commanded the sea the foreign trade routes in and out of england were thus at the yorkists disposal by their frown they could throttle english commerce by their favour they could guard it and leave it free to flourish as the exiled house of godwin in the days of edward the confessor from flanders and from ireland was master of the situation so too the return of the yorkists was merely a question of time the duke of york when he went to ireland was returning to his own again it was not merely that ten years earlier he had been a successful and popular lord lieutenant one for whose return his people had always hoped his connection with ireland was older than this the roots of his family were planted generations before his mother Anne Mortimer, the heiress of the House of March, was the great-granddaughter of Elizabeth de Burgh, who had brought the earldom of Ulster and great estates there by her marriage with Lionel of Clarence. Richard of York, therefore, besides being a great English lord, was a great Irish lord too, by birth, by property, by personal service. His second son Edmund, an attractive young man, one of the best-disposed lords in this land, was earl of ulster as well as of rutland and it was perhaps for this reason that york took edmund to ireland with him after the rout at ludford while his eldest son edward went to calais richard must have reached dublin about the middle of october fourteen fifty nine or a little later he was received at once as the legitimate lord and governor by the englishry in the pale he at once set himself to the business of administration the people of the pale were glad of his presence for during these years the government in england was too distracted to attend to irish affairs one of the chief friends of the queen was james butler earl of ormond and of wiltshire who had been made treasurer on october thirtieth fourteen fifty eight his presence on the lancastrian side was enough to ensure for the duke of york the support of the great anglo-norman family of fitzgerald always enemies of the butlers his eight months stay in ireland seems to have been prosperous 
the government in england knew little about his doings except that he was at dublin strengthened by his earls and homagers the only effort the king made to dislodge him was to direct letters under the privy seal to the native chieftains urging them to invade the pale and to carry on war against the english there this policy of stirring up the perpetual enemies of english power in ireland and of bringing into the pale the horrors of an irish invasion was not likely to win any approval for the lancastrian cause among the more stable elements of english society there however the weak reckless and cruel policy of the king was ineffective for the duke of york showed himself quite capable of defending the pale he called a parliament which we are told passed many new statutes he carried on the mint and struck a new kind of groat which had a crown upon the one side and a cross upon the other when warwick some time in march or april fourteen sixty came from calais by ship to visit richard in ireland he found the duke able to give him a good reception the two together had leisure to arrange a plan for their return to england which took place successfully at the end of june in the same year fourteen sixty while the duke of york was successful in ireland the earl of warwick was a no less prosperous exile in calais the pale as it was called the last great continental possession of england was a district of about twenty square miles strongly protected not merely by its great fortresses calais guine ham but by an elaborate series of pools canals and waterways which would impede the advance of any invading army and render the invaders subject to destruction by sudden flooding of the country the town of calais itself was eminently defensible on the land side were its strong walls and towers its pools and waterways from the sea the approaches were equally difficult partly owing to natural obstacles partly owing to the strong harbour fortifications like the tower of Riesbank, situated on a small island over against the town but the strong towers and walls were not sufficient to preserve any place there must be men and ships and the means of obtaining them that is wealth in this respect calais was not deficient in more ancient days a quiet little town depending for support on the herring fishery it was now the great commercial market of england in foreign parts the powerful company of the staple had a monopoly of the export trade of england in wool and the wealthy merchants of flanders came to calais for their dealings upon wool passing through calais the government levied a duty and although the duty was frequently evaded the government could generally count upon raising a sum of about twenty thousand pounds each year this was not always sufficient to pay the heavy expenses incidental to the upkeep of the garrison and fortresses of the pale yet it was a considerable sum for the fifteenth century and so the earl of warwick by his control of calais and of the channel could tap some of the stream of wealth which flowed through these parts and which could easily contribute something in return for his powerful protection warwick was still governor of calais in fact but he was no longer so in law before the rout of ludford the duke of somerset was appointed captain of calais about the same time the duke of exeter was given the admiralty of the seas but when warwick and his friends escaping from england sailed with their small ship into calais haven toward the end of october they found no difficulties in their way 
warwick still held the town as captain still could sweep the narrow seas as admiral the duke of somerset followed as soon as he could to vindicate his position but he found warwick had been before him before he left england somerset sent a herald in advance to announce his coming and to prepare his entrance the herald was just too late he arrived upon the very evening of the day upon which warwick had sailed into calais and been so warmly received the herald returned to england and informed somerset the duke was much disturbed at the news and swore that he would soon bring calais back into subjection so he set off with a small squadron of ships designing on the advice of andrew trollope the old turncoat officer of warwick to make his first attempt upon guine he landed at Wisson with the men of his own ship but owing to the strong wind that had been blowing during the passage the rest of his ships got separated from him and found themselves off the port of calais the news which the herald had brought on the eve of their departure that warwick was in possession of calais was doubtless in the sailors minds and doubtless some of them were not unwilling that the wind should blow hard and drive them into calais haven somerset and his followers however made their way on foot to guine and took up their lodging in the town beneath the walls of the strong castle then andrew trollope who was well known to the garrison having himself held the position of grand porter of calais approached the castle and told the garrison how the king had appointed the rich duke of somerset to be captain of calais and guine and had banished the earl of warwick as a traitor when the constable of guine heard this and saw with trollope many of the former soldiers of calais who had changed sides with the grand porter before the rout of ludford he decided to admit the duke so somerset fortified himself in the castle of guine and although with insufficient forces made many valiant attacks upon the position of his successful rival warwick the duke indeed had need of all his courage as one disaster after another met him the first news that came to his ears after he had established himself in guine was that the rest of his ships which had separated themselves from him on the way over from england had arrived at calais taking all his baggage and warlike stores with them and carrying also the lord audley one of the duke's men whose father had been killed at blore heath the ships cast anchor in calais harbour and soon the earl of warwick came out to them asking what they brought then one of the captains the master of the ship the trinity spoke up and said they had brought harness and horses knowing that the earl would be much pleased with them on receiving this reply warwick had the cargo discharged and the men brought into the town and a further question put to them they were asked what was their desire they said to serve the king on receiving this answer the earl divided the men into two lots the first containing those who had previously been in his service and had sworn to be faithful to him the other lot consisting of men who had entered into no obligations toward him these last were dismissed with the words that they should loyally serve the king meaning probably that they might enter the earl's service the others were taken to prison for the night and next morning taken out and beheaded before the earls and all the people for having broken their oath when somerset heard how his men had been thus treated he was full of wrath and he swore he would be avenged 
he led out his troops and had many sharp skirmishes with the men of warwick and the marshy land between calais and guine so matters stood through the remaining part of the year fourteen fifty nine at the end of the year warwick was still unconquered and even had a strong party in kent and one of his ships was actually lying in the harbour of sandwich at the beginning of january fourteen sixty richard woodville lord rivers and his son anthony were sent down by the king with a body of men to sandwich to clear that town of warwick's partisans and to capture the earl's ship lord rivers easily entered sandwich and held the town and harbour warwick was informed of all this by a gentleman a follower of the earl of march but now nominally in lord rivers service who had been sent over in a small carvel to make a reconnaissance on calais the earl learned from this useful servant that lord rivers might be surprised and the ship recovered for the men of sandwich would never take arms against the earl's men so an expedition was fitted out with three hundred men under the adventurous john denham the same who had helped warwick to escape from england they sailed over to sandwich and waiting for a favourable tide toward evening entered the harbour disguised as merchantmen carrying wood denham and his men landed and at the same time some small disturbance took place in the town as sir anthony woodville was hurriedly making his way from his lodging carrying his breastplate on his arm to the friar's house where his father was staying he was suddenly accosted by twelve men who asked him qui vive and with that they gave him a blow which almost killed him then they recognized sir anthony and asked him where his father was so they made their way to the friars and captured lord rivers too the citizens of sandwich received them joyfully for love of the earl of warwick thus the expedition recovered the earl's ship and then with their prisoners sailed back to calais lord rivers and his son were put in confinement in the castle at calais where they found a fellow prisoner already there the lord audley warwick had shown himself stern and relentless in dealing with the soldiers who had broken their oath to him he and the earls of march and salisbury who were with him had a personal grievance against the woodvilles father and son who had helped to attaint them as traitors however the cruel practice of killing noble prisoners after battle was not yet begun the woodvilles only had to submit to some ungentlemanly taunts which were all the worse as being spoken to captives who could hardly reply first of all lord rivers was raided by the earl of salisbury who called him a knave's son for being so rude as to say the earls were traitors then the earl of warwick raided him and said his father was only a squire brought up with king henry v and raised by his marriage and made a lord then edward the earl of march had his turn and he raided lord rivers likewise after that the three earls returned to the son sir anthony and raided him in the same manner it is not said that the woodvilles made any answer the irony of the situation lies in the fact that only a few years later edward earl of march as king edward the fourth was glad to become the son-in-law of this same lord rivers whose birth he so despised and on his deathbed it was to the faithful anthony rivers that he confided his two sons and anthony lost his life for trying to protect them from edward's own brother richard warwick's position in calais improved every day his ships in the channel brought in much spoil to him and to the men of calais 
it is true the duke of somerset maintaining an active and irritating warfare from guine prevented supplies of food coming in from the rest of the pale but by an arrangement with the friendly duke philip of burgundy warwick was able to ensure a sufficiency of supplies for hard cash adventurous spirits came out of england and joined the earl's forces in london the king's government had to take exceptional measures and in february they hanged richard neville a lawyer of the temple and eight london merchants who were attempting to get away to calais carrying bowstrings and pointed arrows with them their heads were set up on london bridge in their quarters upon the gates of the city such extreme measures only helped to make smoother the return of the earl the duke of somerset was still making war from guine but on april twenty third he received a severe defeat at newnham bridge on one of the main waterways of the pale it was about this time in the month before easter that warwick seeing how events were all moving in favour of the yorkists made his visit to the duke of york in ireland to concert a plan for a descent upon england the earl left the other lords march salisbury and Falkenberg, to guard calais the duke of york was glad to see him having had no certain news of his friend's movements since the flight from ludford these two leaders then agreed that an attempt should be made to push their fortunes in england warwick from calais was to land in kent where he knew he had many good friends the duke of york would land in the north of wales and make his way through his own estates on the march into the midlands a few days before easter warwick left ireland for calais taking with him his mother the countess of salisbury who while in exile with the duke of york in ireland had been attainted of treason in the parliament of coventry fourteen fifty nine the earl's voyage was known to the lancastrian government and the duke of exeter the new admiral had been specially commissioned to intercept him the duke in a large ship of war called la gracieux with two large carracks and several other well-armed ships fourteen in all lay off the coast of cornwall but warwick like a prudent admiral had a small carvel named la touque sailing well in front of his squadron to act as a scout and to give notice of any sign of an enemy thus it was that just about the time of easter as they were all sailing along making a good voyage the men on the carvel scout saw well ahead a great ship the scout then informed warwick's chief captain whose ship was furthest advanced the captain signalled the news to the earl and all the ships were ordered to draw close together until they should know whether the strange ship was a friend or foe at the same time the carvel scout came upon a fishing boat and learned from the fishermen that the strange ship belonged to the duke of exeter these were then taken to the earl's ship and brought before warwick to whom they gave a particular account of the duke's fleet the earl called his captains to consider what should be done with one accord they advised him to fight so the ships were got ready for action and the captains began to manoeuvre in order to come down with the wind behind them upon the duke's fleet but the enemy did not wait for this when the duke of exeter saw warwick's fleet beginning to bear down upon him he gave orders to retire his fleet sailed back to dartmouth warwick triumphantly continued his voyage to calais the reason for the duke's sudden retreat was most probably that he could not trust his sailors however strong in numbers to fight their former admiral 
the name of warwick worked like magic among the seamen meanwhile the duke of somerset was still maintaining an almost daily warfare from guine the home government resolved to make one more attempt to support him a force of five hundred men were collected and put under the command of osbert mountford an officer of much experience who had served in the french wars and knew the pale thoroughly mountford with his men were sent down to sandwich in june to be conveyed across the straits the fate of lord river's expedition was forgotten or else it was thought that having succeeded once warwick would not think it possible to bring off another surprise however the unexpected happened sir john denham the hero of the previous dash upon sandwich crossed the straits with a chosen band including sir john wenlock and entering sandwich dispersed the royal forces and took mountford prisoner the affair was not quite so easily managed as the previous one for mountford and his men offered a stout resistance sir john denham was badly wounded by a cannon shot in the leg the prisoners were brought back to calais and on june twenty fifth mountford and two others were beheaded at riesbank tower on the opposite side of the haven from calais probably because they had formerly served under warwick in the garrison and so were now guilty of breaking their military oath the time was now ripe for the return of the exiles to england the lancastrian government was losing ground every day the expeditions which they had fitted out had been stopped before they left the country and arrested on english soil the great dependencies ireland and calais were in the hands of the exiles the only resource left to the home government was to stir up england's enemies they appealed in ireland to the native chiefs against york against the power of england in the pale in the other great pale that of calais the duke of somerset still grimly holding on in guine could think of no other way to keep out of warwick's hands than to offer it to the heir of the duke of burgundy charles count of charolais known at a later day to history as charles the bold but the count's father the prudent philip the good forbade the attempt inside england matters were going no better for the lancastrian government it was not merely in sandwich that their authority was flouted the king and queen knew that warwick would not be content to stay in calais and yet they seemed to have taken no special precautions to defend the southeast coast indeed the king had to face more difficulties than he could deal with expecting a double attack from ireland and from calais he stayed mainly in the midlands and concentrated his forces there commissions however were directed to other shires too bidding every man to hold himself in readiness to come when the king should send for him but judd the master of the king's ordnance as he was conveying artillery beyond st albans was slain on june twenty second the very heart of england was not secure on june twenty sixth the day following mountford's execution at riesbank warwick and the earl of march and salisbury left calais with two thousand men with them went the lord audley who had been captured six months before and had since learned to follow the yorkist cause they found a ready entry into sandwich which apparently was already occupied by some of the force which under sir john denham had captured osbert mountford the lancastrian government without money or reputation had not maintained the duke of exeter's fleet so the invasion of england offered no other difficulty than that of crossing from calais to sandwich 
End of section 14.